to uh, the book of First Peter. If you're uh, if you're anything like me, um, the song that we uh, were just singing um, is something that. You've sung and prayed and meant it. Maybe you just won too many times without seeing the results that you want to see. Um, almost to the point of frustration. Um, if that is you, um, then maybe maybe tonight we're. Maybe tonight is a night for you to pay attention. <laughs> Maybe. Um, the uh, 13th verse of chapter 1 in 1 Peter um, begins with the word, therefore. And uh, which, I mean, everybody, it's kind of common sense, but it so it basically means in view of everything we just talked about, then this, you know. And without, um, I thought about just reading through the first, you know, however many verses, but there's so much there, it would be hard to not elaborate and whatnot. And so uh, you read that on your own, um, but basically 3 through 12 uh, talks about... Um, the salvation that is ours in Christ, the uh, eternal life that is ours in Christ. Um, it puts some uh, purpose with trials and suffering. Um, it talks about, uh, I mean, just pretty much paints like a great picture of what it means to be um, a Christian, to be a, a true disciple, follower of Christ, and all the, just how amazing it is and all the great things that God has done. And then verse 13 says, therefore, so in light of all this great stuff that he's just talked about, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So in view of all that stuff, Peter gives some commands and gives a warning and gives uh, a, a challenge and backs it up with uh, Old Testament scripture and just kind of in just a couple of verses um, just, just lays it out there. And so what we're going to do for the next few minutes, we're just going to walk through those verses. And so there's not like this one big, like big giant point that we're going to beat to death uh, like I normally do. Um, tonight, there are going to be a lot of little points. And maybe one of those little points is for you, or maybe it's the culmination of all of that that's for you. I don't know. That's between you and God. Um, starting with verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Okay, we're just going to hit pause right there. Um, the uh, the King James Version kind of gets it more accurately than the NIV does. Um, 
The King James Version says, um, gird up the loins of your mind. All right? Admittedly, weird, okay? Um, gird up the, lo- the loins of your mind. Um, you don't have to flip to it, but uh, it's going to be up on the screen. But in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 12, this is where that idea comes from. All right? And rather than explain it, let me just read it. In the Passover meal, um, after they had, had cooked the animal and they had done all the things that God told them to do and they put the blood over the doorposts, um, God wanted them to be ready at, at, so at the drop of a hat they could flee Egypt. Whenever it was time, he didn't want them to like, you know, okay, I need a few minutes to get my stuff together. You know, like he wanted them to be ready. And uh, verse 11 says this, says this is how you are to eat the meal, okay, like this. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Okay, your robe tucked into your belt, your feet, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you're eating. Okay, like you are absolutely ready. There's nothing else that you have to do so that at any, at the shortest amount of notice, you're ready to go and to get out of, of Egypt, okay? That's a snapshot of what, um, what girding yourself up meant, is that the tucking of the robe up into your belt. Um, you know, they obviously, you know, all the Easter pageants we've ever been to are right. They wore long robes all the time. And uh, they walked around in them and all that kind of stuff. But whenever they were working or traveling or doing any sort of sports or anything that required, you know, agility or movement, um, they would, would take the robes and they would, would wrap them around themselves and tuck them into their belt so their legs were free, all right? Um, so that there was, their robes were not able to hinder them, and so, you know, they wouldn't trip up and all that kind of stuff. Makes, makes perfect sense when it comes to, uh, like, doing that, like, physically, and it makes sense um, in Exodus chapter 12 as to why they would do that. Um, he wanted them to be ready. Well, what Peter, Peter takes that analogy of, of girding yourself up and that readiness that comes with it and applies it to the mind. And that's literally what prepare your minds for action means. It means to, to gird up your mind so that you are ready, so that nothing is hindering you, so that um, at any... There's just no hesitation. There's nothing that's going to trip you up or entangle you um, from uh, the things that God would have you do. Prepare your minds for action. And if we if we stop and we think about it, um, I mean, not to get all Joel Osteen on you, but there are thoughts that we have that hinder us and get us tripped up, Right? There are thoughts running through our mind all the time that keep us from the obedience that we know God's called us to. And sometimes it's just, sometimes it is, like Joel says, it's negative stuff, negative thoughts about uh, our jobs or about ourselves or about whatever. Those things are just kind of floating around, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're, we're kind of playing the victim a lot. You know, we're pouting, we're moping. We're, but the, the real thing is, we're so distracted by, like, being down on ourselves or we're just we're so distracted by these thoughts that a lot of times when when God opens a door there's an opportunity to to reach out to someone to love someone to help someone to serve someone to talk, give God credit for something whatever um, we're so distracted by all this other stuff 
that we miss out on all these opportunities, you know? Or maybe the thoughts are a little more, maybe they're a little more uh, connected to sin issues than we'd like to admit. Maybe it's connected, maybe there are um, constantly lustful thoughts running through the mind, you know? Maybe it's just constant self-image issues running through your mind. Uh, I mean, we could just we could chase all those rabbits all we want. But thing is, I mean, if we're to be perfectly honest, we all know the issues and the thoughts that entangle us and trip us up, and the things that just pure thoughts that just keep us from obediently walking with the Lord, that keep us from that passion that we yearn for, that we just sang about. It's sometimes it's it's just as simple as our thought life. And what Peter is saying is, take care of your business, you know? Don't let all that stuff trip you up and you miss out on the most important thing in life, which is that relationship with God and the obedience that he calls us to and the honor of being a part of what he's doing on the earth. I mean, don't let that stuff trip you up. Prepare your minds for action. We can't just sit back and let that stuff continue to just choke us and trip us up, and we keep falling down to the point where we just quit. He says, therefore, in view of all that stuff, in view of everything that's awesome, take some initiative. Don't let that, don't let your thoughts bully you. It's in the 30 Days book a couple of times about our emotions bullying us around and pushing us around and all that. And Peter's saying, no, prepare your minds for action. Next thing he says is connected to it. Uh, be self-controlled. Um, also, in some translations, it talks about sobriety or self-discipline. And the idea being that there's, there's nothing that is going to let I'm not going to let anything keep me from being alert and being able to pursue the things of God. Um, I think about the, uh, I mean, since the movie is more than 10 years old, I can spoil it, I guess. But uh, in Braveheart, at the end, when he's like about to go and be killed, if you haven't seen it, uh, he dies. Um, It's been out too long for people to not know, okay? Okay. he spoiled it. Um, before he goes out, he's down in this dungeon, and uh, this uh, this lady comes in who uh, slips him this potion, and uh, she wants him to take it because it will it will it will dull the pain. Because what he's about to go endure is going to be it's just going to be terrible. So she wants him to drink it so that he doesn't hurt as bad, and he's and he doesn't want to do it. And his reasoning is is that I need my wits about me. I need to be in my right mind. And I think that pertains directly to what what this is talking about, is anything that's going to keep us from being controlled by the Spirit alone should be something that we are waging war against. Whether it's lies that we are believing, whether it's just it's negative thoughts, whether it's uh, just just being distracted. I mean, there's so many things that could be that. Anything that's going to come against 
our mind being in the control of the spirit, we've got to fight against. And that's what he's saying. Be self-controlled. Be self-disciplined. Be sober in, in thought. Be fully alert mentally. Prepare your minds for action. The next thing he says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Set your hope fully on the grace given, grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, when our minds are not prepared for action and those things are not girded up and we're not self-controlled and we're being controlled by other stuff or whatever and our emotions are pushing us around and, and we're just whatever, whenever you're in that situation, one of the first things that starts to fade is hope. Because when we're believing a lie instead of God's truth, um, and that lie becomes, starts to be, become more and more and more of what we build our lives on, um, that strong hope in, you know, like we sang about in Everlasting God and, and just how great that song is and it's so scriptural and has so much truth and just that hope that pumps you up and it brightens everything up and you're like, yes, this is true, this is true. The longer we go with our minds not being prepared for action and all that kind of stuff, our hope just begins to fade. Little by little, it fades, it fades, it fades, it fades, it fades. And so what he's saying is in addition to that preparation and all that kind of stuff, um, make sure that your hope is fully set on the right things. We were at youth camp this summer. One of the sermons was about uh, not, pu not putting our hope on things that are temporary or that are near, but, but casting our hope way into the future. And putting our hope in Christ and what, what he has done and where he is taking us. That we are on this journey from this world that is completely messed up. Whether we're going to the house of God to be with him forever. To, to throw our hope onto that. Like a lasso or something. And to throw it as far out as we can onto that. Not on this temporary stuff that's going to fade. Because you know what? You're going to run out of money. And our, you know, like... More hurricanes are going to come, and the economy is going to go up and down, and all the things that, that we tend to like use to find our worth, they're all going to fade. They're all going to go away, and we know it. And so a part of preparing our minds for action, a part of all that, this kind of stuff, is making sure that our hope is placed on something that is not going to fade and not get weaker with time, and, and our hope is only going to increase. It's only going to get stronger. Place it on the grace that is, what it says literally, is the grace that is on the way. It's in route to us. And to build our lives on that. As we build it on people, we get disappointed. We build it on stuff, it gets stolen or breaks or falls apart or the new kind comes out and whatever. I mean, everything else, it's just stupid, but we do it. And we know it. And so this whole idea is about just getting more, just getting aggressive and being very intentional and very disciplined and about like who God has called us to be and how we're called to live. He connects it into the next thing in verse 14. As obedient children... 
Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Being an obedient child um, was a big deal back then. Um, They raised their kids so that obedience was just second nature to them. I mean, it wasn't like an option ever, you know. I wish that were a part of modern-day South Louisiana life. Sometimes where our offices are is right by the day camp, but sometimes, like, I wonder, like, who's the parent? Is it the third grader or is it the grown-up? Because I'm pretty sure it's the third grader in some of those houses. They train their kids to be obedient to their parents, not to be mindless robots, but to where there was just this respect that was there from parent to child and from child back to parent. And so he calls them and calls us obedient children. It literally says children of obedience. It says do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And we can talk about that all day. He's really telling them, like, look, you're not who you used to be. So quit acting like you are still who you used to be. He goes on in his letter later to describe us as being called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And there's something about us for some reason that keeps looking back at that darkness and we're like, man, that was fun, wasn't it? No, it wasn't fun. It was terrible. It was death. But it's kind of one of those struggles that we've had for so long. It's all through through the Bible. Garden of Eden, that was the case. God had this amazing situation, and for some reason, Eve and Adam, like they... They made, a, they made a bad choice. The Israelites, God was, was completely hooking them up in every possible way and had this great future for them. And yet they kept wanting to like also have idols and also serve these other gods and be like these other people. And, and then they wanted a king like everybody else. And there was just all these, just, just this cycle of always wanting something that's killing you. In the same way in the, in the New Testament, all these letters that are written to these churches, it, it deals with the same exact thing of, of them mixing in like all these, like, these pagan practices and all this kind of stuff and, and just messing up this amazing like, condition that God had set up for them. And we have the same battle you know, today, whether it's in our individual walk with God or the way that our churches are set up a lot of times. And say, no, don't conform to that. You are not that person anymore. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You need, just don't. And I think when it comes down to, uh, like, wanting, wanting that, that passionate walk with God and wanting to, to just, like we said in the song, to yearn for him and all that kind of stuff, I think one problem that a lot of Christians have is we, we want that and we want like to live this lifestyle that is basically the darkness that we were saved from. We want both. And God hasn't called us to both. He's brought us into the light and given us the message of hope to bring others out of darkness into light. 
And the truth is, you're, you, me, none of, we, we will never be passionately in love with Jesus Christ and have that dual mindset and be double-minded. It won't happen. And we can sing that song and mean it with all of our hearts, but until we're ready to get aggressive with our lives and to be intentional and to really, like, to be disciplined and all that, it's not going to happen. See, we want, we want shortcuts to everything. We want to be able to drive somewhere and get there the fastest. We put shortcuts on our desktop so we can get to that folder so much faster and say it's all that time. We want everything quick. And God refuses to give in to, that, to our demands when it comes to that. There's not a shortcut that you or I will find to passionately loving him and transformation into Christ-likeness and all the things that we want. It, you will not find a shortcut. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Put your hope in the right things. Stop trying to be what you have been rescued from. Don't conform to that. But instead, this is what we are called to, verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. See, this this is the This is the key. The pursuit of holiness is the key to that yearning and that passion that we want. It's not a shortcut. It's not a formula. It's not easy. But it's the key. As he who has called us is holy, be holy in all that we do. Verse 16, he brings in the Old Testament and quotes Scripture because to his readers, that was going to like confirm to them, like, yeah, this is right. He is right. So it says, be holy in all that you do. Of course, we immediately think, we, we jump to the, like, our, our actions. And of course, there's, then comes the battle of legalism and license, you know. And anytime you, like, take a stand about something in your in your personal life, there are people who can be like, you're so legalistic and that is a law and you don't understand the cross and you don't understand... Nah, nah, nah. That's literally what they say. Nah, nah, nah. And so then as soon as you're like, you know what, like I... Um, I need to get a uh, a filter on my computer for the internet. Not that that's the solution, because it's a hard issue, but sometimes just, I mean, like, there's that wisdom part of life that comes in for people who have, you know, like, a, a real struggle with that, and, and so you put that on your computer, and someone's like, dude, it's so legalistic. Why would you do that? And the answer is, well, I'm trying to pursue holiness in my life. And this is an area of struggle, and this is a wise thing for me to do. It's not the only thing. It's not the fix-all, but like, this, is, this is a part of me trying to be holy in all that I do. God gave me a brain also. <laughs> and my brain says that you need to put this on your computer, because that's going to help 
get you where you need to be as far as the, the purity of your thoughts and your heart. It's not the only thing, but it's a part of that. See, when we are pursuing holiness in our lives, some people would say it was it's legalism, but it's not if in your heart, if your heart's pursuit is holiness, it's not legalism. If your heart's pursuit is rules and all that kind of stuff, yeah, all right, well, we can have that discussion. But we can't rebel against things when we're trying to, like, to make all of our actions holy. Because holiness has to do with purity, God being perfect and absolutely pure in, in every attribute, in every part of him. Everything is completely 100% pure and, and holy. And so a part of any discussion about holiness involves like just the, the complete lack of sin. That's why we were separated from him. Sin and God's presence, like God can't be in the presence of sin. And out of his holiness, he has destroyed what was keeping us from him. So purity is a part of it. Also a part of it is anything that's holy is, is set apart. It is distinct. See, Israel was supposed to be holy in that, that one, you know, they are, were to strive for that purity, but they were also to be set aside and distinct among all these other nations. They were supposed to stand out. Their holiness was supposed to cause them to stand out to where other nations would look at them and say, what is different about them? And same thing for us. Our lives are supposed to be set aside to where it's like, people are like, you're weird, man. <laughs> Not that we walk around in a bubble and everything's always good, but in how we handle conflict, how we handle like difficult times, I mean, in our sensitivity when other people are hurting and how we respond, there's just, the list goes on and on. There's supposed to be something different and distinct and set aside. And another thing about holiness is it has to do with, with dedication to God. See, I, I have to look at every aspect of my life as being something that is dedicated to the Lord. So every action of my life has got to be seen as, as pure and also as set aside and distinct, but also as dedicated to him. So yeah, when we talk about our actions being holy in all that we do, um, absolutely, my time on the internet needs to have all those things about holiness as a part of them. Absolutely, the, the way that I interact with people when I go to Walmart, yeah, that needs to, to be a part of that. The way I handle my money there needs to be holiness in the way I handle my money. There's nothing about any, any part of my life where that holiness is not supposed to be a part of it. And so a part of what we're talking about tonight is that I've, I've got to really look at my, at my life and say, I want to be holy in all that I do. But it's not just actions. I mean, there are, you, know, you bring into that relationships. I want there to be holiness in every friendship that I have. I want it to be pure. I want it to be set apart. I want it to be dedicated to God. And you might think, oh, that's a, taking things a little seriously, huh? Well, it says all that you do. And it says it quite a few other places throughout God's Word. It's not just Peter. Every relationship. 
Every couple in here, the, the, if you're dating, holiness is what you're called to in your dating relationship. People say, well, how far is too far? Pursue holiness. That answers that question. Every married couple in here should be pursuing holiness as individuals and in your marriage. I'm not married. So I can say that without being a hypocrite. That's a perk. (laughs) There's only like three perks. That's one of them. As a family, sitting down and preparing your minds for action and all the things that we're talking about and being intentional and disciplined about that and sitting down and saying, all right, how are we going to pursue holiness as a family or as a married couple or as an engaged couple or, you know, as a dating couple? I mean, I kind of think that, like, you shouldn't be talking about that. Like, how are we together going to do that because you're not married and you need to quit pretending like you're married? Um, but you need to do that as an individual and make sure that, like, that the overlap is not, you know, inappropriate. Um, friendships, all that, all that kind of stuff. How you relate to your coworkers needs to be holy. How you relate to your neighbors needs to be holy. We talked about finances, how you spend your money, how you give. And all that comes with that. Your thoughts. Going back to the mind. Pursuing holiness in the way that you think. See, that's a hard one because nobody sees that. We see the fruits of that often. but refusing to have unholy thoughts about the opposite sex. Refusing to have unholy thoughts about yourself and the way you view yourself. Refusing to compare yourself to everybody else and how much you weigh and how you know all that kind of stuff, whatever. Being holy in those thought patterns. Being holy in the way that you are an employee or a boss, or a student, or a son, or a daughter. Bring that into this corporate context, being holy in the way we function as a church and how we interact with each other and how we, um, all the way down to like how we budget to spend the money that goes in those buckets back there. As far as how we relate to Baton Rouge, are we pure Are we set aside? Are we dedicated to him and his glory and his purposes? Take all those verses and all those things and you look at that. And and for me, I look at that and I'm like, I know that that this is true. and, And there's so much that's right and there's so much I can apply to my life, I think. But I don't know how to get there. I want that. I want that song to come true. I want all that stuff, and I'm kind of tired of asking for it. Um, I don't have anything tangible. I need something tangible. Close with this. Turn to Psalm 139. If you want that for you, if you want 
your mind to be prepared, your hope to be in the right place, to be self-controlled, to be an obedient child, to not live like whatever, and to, to be holy in all that you do, the way that it happens is by prayer. Always, always, always through prayer. Not shortcut prayer. Not pray it once and mean it and then get mad when God doesn't do it instantly, you know. Is by diligent and disciplined prayer. Look at what David says in verse 23 of Psalm 139. If you want something tangible and you want something to really go for, pray like David did. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You bring yourself before the Lord and you pray those things. Search me, test me, lead me. Search me, test me, lead me. Every day you come to the Lord and you ask him to search you, to show you those things, to show you the areas of your life. Because you, it's completely overwhelming if you're like, I've got to be holy in everything. That means my list is like hundreds long of things that need to change about me. Okay, well, you know what? That's not your problem. Your heart is his. Let, let him take care of it. Let him prioritize some things. Let him show you in your life the things that he wants to change first. Search me. Test me. We don't like that part. We don't like that part at all. When we're asking him to search us and he starts showing us some things, then comes the test. It's like, okay, do you really want that? You know? Do you want that enough to have some tough conversations, to make some big changes in your life, uh, etc.? Search me, test me, and then lead me. God will show you literally every step that you need to take. Make this what you pray every single day, every single day, every single day, if that's what God leads you to do. Maybe there's another part in Scripture that you connect with more than that. I don't know. I like to have something practical to be able to walk away with, especially because I've just been, I've been, honestly, I've been here too long. Too long of wanting that and just not, it's just not happening. And I get frustrated and my hope fades away and I just quit trying. And I think God is pushing all of us as a church, as individuals, as um, if you're here for the first time and you'll never be back, you too, all of us together. God had these verses for us tonight for a reason. And the ball's in your court and my court. Let's pray.